Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files. You know, we launched it with just me, literally, in my dining room. Most startups start with an entrepreneur in the garage. I was in my dining room. Um, I was cooking and making crafts. Britt Morin. She's the founder and CEO of Brit & Co., a leader in the do-it-yourself maker movement. How she instills what she calls creative confidence in her users. I think that we are the thing that gets in our way. Like, we are our we own. We are the thing that gets in our we way. We are our own roadblocks. We tell ourselves we can't do it. We tell ourselves we aren't good enough. We are more risk-averse than men. I mean, there's scientific studies around that. And if we can just build up our own self-confidence a little bit more, and that doesn't mean we have to be egocentric. It just means we have to feel like we can do it. And if not, let's fake it till we make it. 80% of her board is women. Plus, an internship ad she found on Craigslist that landed her a job at Apple. A former Google employee, she credits Marissa Meyer for teaching her leadership. And why she decided to get political in the 2016 election and lost a major advertiser as a result. So was it worth it? Of course, she says. Here's my conversation with Britt Morin. Britt, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. I watched you from afar Same. Uh, many times. <laughs> like I flip on the Today Show and there you are yes. and all you've accomplished. So thank you for being here. Uh, if people don't know, just give us a lens into Britt and Co., which, by the way, is your name and Co. is community. <laughs> That's right. Britt and Company. Thank you. You launched not that long ago, 2011. Yeah. And the brand grew out of the sort of DIY do-it-yourself maker movement. Mm-hmm. What is it today? Today, it's it's really one of the biggest women's digital lifestyle brands on the Internet. Mm-hmm. We reach 130 million women every month across our site and a few key social channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we reached 28 million on Comscore for our O&O network, and it's grown even beyond media and you know articles and videos. It's actually now an education platform. We have a hundred classes. It's a merchandising brand. We have three different lines what of products. What can I learn how to make when I'm mass- on maternity leave? Exactly. I will send you a goodie box. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's an experiential um, brand. We have done events with upwards of 15,000 women that come over mm. the course of like one to two days. So. We really are trying to be a 360 brand that's bolstered by media. What What are the classes? The classes actually range in topic from business classes, like how to start a company, to computer science classes, Love that. to cake decorating and calligraphy. Love that, too. Yeah. So I wish I could code and bake <laughs> When you're on maternity leave, two things I will also at. send you gift certificates no, for classes. No, I, I will buy it. I will support the <laughs> okay, cause. Okay, thank you. Um, so you've been dubbed, I wonder if you like it, Silicon Valley's Martha Stewart. Do I like it is an interesting question. I think a lot of people really like Martha Stewart, yeah. as do I. So She's do a I. legend. Um, I So, of course, I like that people are even comparing me to her. I think what we're building is very different. Like, we definitely have the vein 
and our mission of creativity and empowerment, um, but we're doing it with a very communal aspect. Today, we live in the social media era. It's not just about one person anymore. It's about a community of experts mm -hmm. and a community of influencers who all have their own special skills and talents. And that's what Brit & Co. kind of stands for. You know, we launched it with just me, literally, in my dining room. Most startups start with an entrepreneur in the garage. I was in my dining room. Um, I was cooking and making crafts and and um, and now it's really like hundreds of these women who have their own followings and who teach the classes, who create the content, mm -hmm. who star in the videos. And I'm alongside for the ride Doing as well. Doing it too. Yeah. You often quote Steve Jobs uh, as saying, everything in this world was made by people no smarter than you. Yep. Why does that resonate with you so much? I started this company when I was 25. Mm -hmm. And... I had never managed many people before. I, had, I was fortunate to have left school early, and I worked at places like Apple and Google. Mm -hmm. So I got you a, had big. You, I got you a worked big, at some pretty big, big companies, and and I had a lot of responsibility. I managed a fifty million dollar budget at Google yeah. to launch Google TV. But really, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if I was good enough. I didn't actually know anything about media. I knew a lot about tech. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to do it, and I had to be talked into doing this and uh, by friends, by my now husband, um, because I didn't think I was smart enough or experienced enough. But that quote resonates with me so much because especially for women, mm -hmm. I think that we are the thing that gets in our way. Like we are our we own. We are the thing that gets in our we way. We are our own roadblocks. We tell ourselves we can't do it. We tell ourselves we aren't good enough. We are more risk averse than men. I mean, there's scientific studies around that. Mm -hmm. And if we can just build up our own self-confidence mm -hmm. a little bit more, and that doesn't mean we have to be egocentric. It just means we have to feel like we can do it, and if not, like fake it till we make it. But doesn't that also play into having outsiders believe in us and therefore put their money and their investment in us? Because if you look at, there's a pretty new report, uh, TechCrunch Women in Venture report, shows 10% of venture dollars and 16% of seed dollars globally between 2012 and Q3 2017, so a five-year span, went to startups with at least one woman founder. That's it. Yep. That's it. it. It's a sad world out there. And I was a sole founder. Like, a lot of, that's another you thing. You didn't walk in with any man. I didn't have a co-founder. I didn't, yeah, I just, I didn't have any other support, you know, walking in with me. It was just me. So raising money for you was? Challenging. Um, and, and, and not even, I think there was an unconscious bias that I was young and female. But on top of that, there was the category, like media. Like, back in 2011, 2012, when I raised my first seed round, no one in Silicon Valley really understood why media would be a big industry. Mm. And then there was the the content topics, you know, the maker movement, right. do, do it yourself. The number of times investors said DIY <laughs> instead of DIY. DIY. Do it, it yourself. Very, yeah, do it yourself. Do yourself, it and, doesn't really and resonate. Craft, they, you know, I would try to explain the craft industry alone is a $33 billion industry driven mostly by offline retailers, you know. and. Yeah. And, and where we would go outside of that as we grew over time. And, and yeah, I mean, I had the numbers and the data, but a lot of people still passed. So let's go back to the beginning of your career. You're attending University of Austin. Mm -hmm. You Is it true you see an ad for an internship at Apple on Craigslist? <laughs> is that for real? That's for real. I was... I always wanted to live in California since I was young. I've always been fascinated by both technology and entertainment. And um, so I was looking for internships because it was too expensive for me to go out of state in college. I had to stay in state and my credits transferred better. Um, but I definitely wanted to intern out of state. And I was looking in both San Francisco and in L.A. And in L.A., uh, 
there was this Craigslist ad for a job at Apple, and I thought this has to be a scam. Like, why would Apple, like a company with the best brand ever, advertise on Craigslist? And on a whim, I <laughs> just you like called. I called. I sent my I don't I think I emailed maybe, um, and I got a call back. And I literally thought it was another scam, and I wasn't sure <laughs> what was happening, but. They loved me, and they wanted me to come, and I started interviewing, and it happened. And you rushed through college to to get to Silicon Valley even sooner. Three years you finished. Yeah. Bravo. I I could have done it uh, sooner. I tested out of almost two years, but that third year I kind of spent working part-time with Apple while in college, Mm -hmm. finishing up like nine credits. Um, And then, yeah, I moved out at age 20, and I couldn't even drink yet. (laughs) And you had never had a drink in your entire life. I had never drank in my entire (laughs) life. I'm from Texas, like Southern Christian girl. (laughs) There you go. So what did, because we'll we'll get to Google in a minute, but what did you take from Apple? Obviously, Steve Jobs, the quote. But what did you take from Apple that you still apply today? What was interesting at Apple was that I was working in iTunes, and at the time, iTunes was really the only media side of the Apple business. Uh, this was pre-TV shows, movies, you know, it was just music. And the idea that um, content could be served up in a feed in a way that felt personalized, mm-hmm. um, in a user experience mm-hmm. a layer that people could navigate really easily and seamlessly, that they could share out with friends. I learned a lot about that. I also remember working on a partnership with Apple and Facebook back in, this is 2006, um, and Facebook was still just a college I remember it. Uh, platform. I don't think I was on. Yeah, that point, I, I was on, and no, but no one at Apple understood what this Facebook thing was. Everyone thought it was so <laughs> dumb that we were doing this partnership. Ooh. And I was the advocate saying, guys, people are going to love this. We're going to give gift cards to for iTunes to all these college students, and they're going to like eat it up. And, mm. and so I had to write the press release. I had to do the marketing for all of it wow. because no one even knew how to talk about Facebook. The fact that you got in, Brit, so early to these Silicon Valley giants is huge. I yeah. mean, that is a big role to have a lot of responsibility at Apple that I think would be hard to get for a very young and experienced person today just because of the size of the company. Right. And then at Google, you go there, and you yeah. again have a big job. Yeah, and I thought it was random at first because I was on Google Maps. You know, it's a mapping platform. How sexy can that be? Saves my life daily. I know. And and actually, Google Maps for mobile wasn't even a thing yet. Driving directions weren't a thing yet. Street View wasn't a thing yet. MapQuest was still the leading mapping platform. And so I learned so much about, like, geotechnology and and Google Earth. and, And we were doing all kinds of really interesting product launches that I was part of and and thinking about how mapping could be consumer friendly and how people would be using this platform every single day potentially in the near future. So that was fascinating. And then I worked on search, which is the Bible of Google and learned a lot about how ranking works, algorithms work, which has obviously now been helpful for SEO in my company. And then and then YouTube. And that was really the eye opener for me of what the future of media and the future of video would look like on the internet. We we obviously worked with creators to build their own channels. And this was the time in like 07, 08 when we just acquired YouTube and people were just becoming YouTube stars, you know, and sure. it was just, it was so ripe for the taking of people becoming internet celebrities. But then when we launched Google TV, you know, I was exposed to what the traditional media industry looked like yeah. under the hood and how 
little the traditional media companies like understood about digital and felt comfortable and putting content approach, there. What, didn't you have to approach them and yeah. try to make these deals? Maybe including actually CNN was very bullish. Good. I have to say <laughs> CNN was one of our best partners. Other partners were not as super bullish. skeptical. They were totally. I mean, you know, they thought it was we were like pirating content and. How are they going to get paid? Which are fair questions, sure. and I think we're still fighting all of those questions sure, today. Sure, But at the same time, it's like, are you going to play ball? Get and on this the bandwagon and yeah. get left behind. And and a lot of them weren't. And and I saw that opportunity to build something in the white space. More from my interview with Britt Morin after the break. So when you were at Google, you worked uh, under. Um, Marissa Meyer, obviously, who then went on to lead Yahoo. You've talked about her as your biggest mentor. What did you learn from her leadership? Because here's another young, brilliant, super successful woman, and and you're looking right up to her. Yeah. I think Marissa is about 10 years older than me, and I just remember being like 23 or 24. She's 33, 34, which is quite young, and she's literally just running so many parts of the business and people are so intimidated by her and I think the reason is because she's so brilliant she's so smart um, she focuses on the little details and the polish and I don't think a lot of executives think to go that extra mile you know the literally the bevel of the button and the the pixels should move 10 pixels over and the logo and just and people got very frustrated by that <laughs> because but at the same time you know I think she has such an eye for user experience mm-hmm. product design um, you know interface flows and I learned so much about why we should be testing 50 different shades of blue on the button and raises one. And actually, you know, I went on to start Britain Co. And, you know, at a time when media companies really were just figuring out how to put content on the Internet, I was optimizing my pin it buttons on the site with, there like, 50 There's different A-B the tests. There's the Marissa in me. I literally, like, we are now one of the biggest publishers on Pinterest because we have optimized the crap out of our pennant buttons on our site and tested so many versions and round versus square versus right corner, left yeah. corner. And, and, and that's true for, like, so many different things she, about our product. She was also an angel investor in Britain? Twice, yeah. She's twice. invested in two different rounds. So, so she's followed on twice. That's the ultimate believer. Yeah. Do, uh, I've interviewed her, uh, you know, a number of times before and followed her career closely. Um, there are some who say that she was judged especially hard in her role leading Yahoo mm-hmm. and trying to turn around that company in part because she was a woman. Mm-hmm. Any truth to that in your mind? I wasn't working there, obviously, so I don't know what internal employees, you know, their, or even, their sentiment I mean, from was outsiders like. Oh, from too, the outsiders, and from the media. You know, I don't know how much it relates to. I think that's an, it's hard to extract data around that. And if I learned anything from her, that's how to make data-driven decisions. Yeah. Um, I think she came into a company that had a lot of things going wrong, and she was trying to make some big swings and. Honestly, uh, part of it is timing and luck, I think. I, I don't know how much was related to her leadership or just the fact that, like, it's tough to turn around a company of that size and in a market that's changing so quickly. So rapidly. And Yahoo is actually one of the first true media and technology companies mm-hmm. out there. They really believed in content and, and media. And so, you know, the media industry is having its own we'll chaotic what, storm, yeah. but so is technology. And said so to be dealing with two different types of companies at once, not to mention all the Alibaba stuff, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot she had on her plate. 
I, I suspect it's not the last we've heard from Marissa no. being in tech somewhere. So more to come, I'm sure. Um, as far as leaving and then really starting Britain Co., you admirably, I think, took some time off, took some time to think, mm-hmm. which we don't do enough of <laughs> Tim Armstrong, who now is leading yep. AOL Yahoo we combined to yep. the oath, and you guys work with him, says he takes an, like an hour a day to just think. He marks it off it's thinking time. Yeah. And he thinks about not just his business, but like he'll dive into topics like China or different right. historical issues. And I just, I admire that. I admire that so much too. <laughs> like right now it's like. I wish I could do I've that. Got, yeah, but you took that happening. time when you could before I you did. had children, et cetera. And thought about what you want to do. And then you've talked about some inspiration for Brit & Co. coming from your mom, who you say, quote, taught you how to be scrappy. <laughs> well, growing up, I had two parents who both worked outside of the home, as did a lot of women in my generation. Um, it was the 80s pantsuit generation of, of working moms. And we didn't have the internet for my first you know, decade of life. So I was just learning how to take what I could find around the house and put it together to make something else. And I burned myself a lot. I, I cut myself a lot. Glue guns. I, yeah, my glue nemesis. guns, sewing machines, stoves. I was playing with all of it and until I got it right. You know, there was no YouTube tutorial to teach me. There's no Google search. Um, it was try and fail and do it again. And and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, I was on my own and, and I was a kid and there was no right or wrong. You know, mm-hmm. as a kid, everything yeah. is okay. Everything is up to your imagination and you can make what you want. And, and really, I feel like that was the impetus for Britain Co. And I started taking that time off. I was getting ready for my wedding. I was decided to make a lot of stuff for it. I was getting back <laughs> into some of these creative skills I had when I was a kid. And I realized how fearful I was of what people would judge me for and mm. if and other women telling me that they actually felt like they weren't creative either. And it it struck me that why can we feel like we are the most creative person ever in the in the world when we're five years old and at 25, it goes away. we are freaked out so to do want, anything. Was part of it bringing the five-year-old back out? Yeah, bring the five-year-old back out in these adult women. Like, stop mm. caring so much what other people think. Stop Stop deciding whether or not you're going to post it on social media. <laughs> like, just do it for fun. Do it for you. And and that, I think, you know, that focus on creativity has started to expand Britain Co. into thinking about how women believe in themselves and that, in other parts deem, of their life. What you deem creative confidence. Creative confidence. That's everything from should I start the company I want to start? Right. Can I? To how do I decorate that cake for my son's birthday? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I think it's the same sentiment, and we're trying to help solve that mm-hmm. in women. Is it true that you keep a work block on your calendar, morning, some morning time where no one can bother <laughs> you, no one can schedule meetings, just get it to work done? I do. It's probably not as constructive as Tim's um, because, you know, it's uh, when you're in a startup like we are that's growing really quickly, like things come up and sometimes you have to use that time. But for the most part, I try to get at least 90 minutes right when I'm starting the day and at the office Mm -hmm. to just get through emails, get through some thinking time of my own, read the news, you know, think about what's happening in the industry. Mm -hmm. And, And I think all entrepreneurs and all executives should have that time. For themselves. You have said, talking about the larger issue of, of women in tech, and you are this sort of shining example for many uh, women on making it despite against the odds mm-hmm. uh, and against the funding challenges. But you have said Sheryl Sandberg's lean in added more fuel to the fire to help the next generation of women excel. Mm-hmm. Why? You know, until Cheryl wrote that book, 
I don't feel like women had the courage that it took to stand up and say something in meetings, to ask the questions in their minds. It goes back to what I was saying before. There's there's just a risk aversion, and women are too honest. You know, I think that in many ways, men fib more and believe that they can do X, Y, or Z like 10 times better than the next person. And, and women say, I can probably do it twice as well. And so I think Lena in taught us that we need to play ball. We need to go the distance. We need to believe that we can and tell people we can and stand up for ourselves. And she writes in there about experiences she had, you know, being the only woman in many rooms and boardrooms, mm-hmm. et cetera. Eighty percent of Britain Co.'s board is women, is that right? Eighty percent, and not even purposefully. It's I really tried to find board members who understood what I was trying to accomplish, and they happened to be women. <laughs> One of the things you've said, and you often say, empowered women empower women. Mm-hmm. Explain. You know, this is something that actually came out of the Hillary Clinton campaign that just stuck with me, and it's the idea that women today have the opportunity to help one another in ways like never before. We're all connected somehow now. Why don't we use the power of that connectivity to help one another? You know, for women startups in general, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs that I know who are female and have questions about how do you start uh, to spend money on paid um, acquisition? Mm -hmm. Have you ever experienced anything like that? It's like, of course I'll help you do that. I want you to succeed because all boats rise, right? When you succeed, I succeed. And I think we are at a, a point in time where that's so true. It's never been more true. There's a startup coming out of Harvard Business School right now called, I think, Chiffon Co., and they make these pinky rings that women wear around campus, and it sort of signals that I support you. you. I'm going to help you. Oh, I love that. And all these women are wearing these pinky rings now. Are you investing? It sounds like you should invest. Well, we have a conference call next week. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just obsessed with this idea that it's not about women being catty to one another and holding each other back. It's yeah. about this new cohort of women who want to literally help one another because they believe that they'll return that we help We saw day. that happen in the Obama White House. There was that great Washington Post piece about how women around the table helped elevate other women's voices when they felt like they weren't being heard. And, of course, there's famous Madeleine Albright. You mm-hmm. know, there's a special place in hell for, for women who don't help other women. Yeah. Um, interesting sort of counter-argument, though, from Sally Krawcheck, who was a you know, huge force on Wall Street for many years and now has started her own company, Elevest. She hates the word empower mm-hmm. because she tells me that she feels like, well, to empower means to be given power. And she says women don't need to be given power. Mm. What do you we make need of to that? Show, we need to show our power. I agree with her, but I don't think we express our power. And I don't know if we believe our power, mm. especially women my age and in their 20s who are just coming out of school. They're in their first or second job. They don't feel like they know it all yet. They don't feel like they know where they're going. They don't know if they're in the right career. They don't know if they should be having kids or not mm-hmm. and if they should wait because of their career freezing their eggs. Like, women are generally confused in their early professional lives, and therefore I think they have that power in them, but they aren't sharing that mm-hmm. or expressing Own it, it in Own ways your power. that they should. Exactly. Silicon Valley is experiencing right now for sure, a moment of reckoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, fall- as is Hollywood. <laughs> as is Hollywood, as are a number of industries. But as you know, Silicon Valley is more under the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, well, not more than Hollywood, but equally in, as Hollywood. Um, with sexual harassment incidents from Uber to VC firms, etc., you're in the middle of the valley. Hopefully you have not endured any of this. Um, what, what do you see happening? 
Well, I see the internet being used as a voice for these women for the first time. Um, and I have not been the victim of sexual harassment in terms of you know, Silicon Valley investors, et cetera. I think largely because I've been in a committed relationship throughout my time running Britain Co. But I remember one day I was on a hike with the three other female founders, all single, and they were chatting so casually about, oh, well, if I go out to raise money again, I know it's going to happen. And really? and I was like, what are you talking about? I had, I was, maybe it's the Southern, like, Christian girl in me that's just blinders on, but they were like, Britt, this is, this is just normal. It just happens. And I was shocked. That, that they would be harassed. Yeah, that, well, not, they talked about it so casually as if oh. they just expected it. And, and so that was my first taste of it. And then, of course, months later, like, this, all of this started coming out. And, you know, I think it has to stop, of course, and this is a great alarm and wake-up call. But at the same time, I, I am concerned that this is going to hinder a female entrepreneur's ability to have coffee outside the office Jeez. with a male venture yeah. capitalist. And it's going to force venture firms to put a woman on their, you know, partner for in their firm just to just say that there's a woman in their firm. Base. Yeah, and, and and that's never a great signal. You want it to be because it's merit-based, right. and there are so yeah. many qualified women. Exactly. Um, are you hopeful, Britt, right now? If you look at the situation, the landscape in Silicon Valley on that front, are you more skeptical that change will happen, or are you hopeful? I believe that uh, at the topical level, change will happen. I'm not sure that the unconscious bias will go away. I I still get asked questions myself about how my husband helped me start my company, and I can't even believe people are asking me that. Um, what do you think, honestly? What do I think? When people ask you When that? people ask me that, no one would ask my husband if I helped him start his company. <laughs> you probably did. <laughs> I, I just... Of course, we I, all help each other. Of, Come on. Yeah, and, like, of course we chat about our day-to-day lives at work, and, like, we try to give each other advice. Yeah. Any husband and wife does that, no matter if they're starting a company or not. And But to think that, like, my success is rooted in him, you know, is an, is an unconscious bias. And I, I think at times people ask that question yeah. to prove that there is this bias out there, but in many ways they're, yeah. <laughs> they're just adding into it. So... Yeah, it's unfair, and it's but that's the thing that's not going to go away anytime soon. Like we're just going to have to learn how to deal with that and how to answer that question appropriately and how to sort of move on and change the subject. You uh, wrote an opinion piece in Fortune, and it's about interestingly the dress code in Silicon Valley. <laughs> now I would be hesitant to ask any woman about clothes. I don't know because I don't know if I want people asking me about clothes. But since you wrote an op-ed <laughs> about it, well, you look wonderful. But today. Um, you. You know, you you talk about the importance of being able to dress as a woman in what you want, what makes you comfortable. Mm-hmm. You talk about looking at Marissa mm-hmm. uh, Meyer at Yahoo, who was, you know, obviously very fashionable, yeah. too, as well as being this big leader in tech. What's the argument you make? I mean, this was another way that Marissa was an inspiration to me. She would literally come to the office on a Wednesday wearing Oscar de la Renta. And no, I don't own Oscar de la Renta clothes. Like, I'm very much into Zara and, like, H&M. But, but um, everyone else was wearing jeans and T-shirts. And when I would wear a dress to the office, I, like, five times throughout the day, I got asked, what's going on with you today? Like, you interviewing somewhere else? <laughs> it's like, no, I just wanted to wear a dress. And, yeah, I think that women get get judged differently in Silicon Valley. 
that's probably shifting a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be able to wear jeans and hoodies if you want to. Yeah. But you can certainly wear dresses. You can certainly dress the role that you want to be in. Wear what makes you comf- confident. Confident and comfortable. comfortable. Exactly. So um, I think that's slowly changing over time. And the fact that, I, that L.A. and New York are starting to influence Silicon Valley more yeah. hopefully is helping, helping as well. You guys are very well dressed here. Okay. <laughs> you should see me in the morning. In your pajamas. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about the future and what is ahead as you continue to build. You're only 31, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah. Wow, I wish I was 31. Let's talk about the I Am Creative Foundation because this is sort of the this is the philanthropic side of your mm-hmm. business too, which is admirable to be doing pretty early on. Yeah. What's the goal? So we started the I Am Creative Foundation like two years into the company, and everyone was asking like, how do you even have funds to fund a foundation. Yeah, I was wondering that. Um, we, we worked actually closely with one of our venture capital partners, Index Ventures, who said, we will match whatever you guys put in. And I put in some personally, Britain Co. put in a little teeny bit, and then Index matched. That's great. Uh, and that gave us enough to like truly start this foundation. And what we do is make grants to young women for big creative dreams and pursuits that they want to accomplish. And they submit them all in, and there are qualifications of, like, how you so would use the money. People can do this online now? can do this online, and we actually have this amazing panel of executives ranging from, like, the CMOs of Google and Facebook to the CEO of Crayola wow. to fashion designers like Rebecca Minkoff and Lauren Conrad. And, and so it, it is quite varied, and we use them to help us filter down to the awardees, and, and we give them thousands and thousands of dollars to go start their dreams. And I think every startup uh, and every company should have a philanthropic arm. Like no, That's we, interesting, no, because a lot of more matured companies do this, right. meaning they're just have been around longer, they have more money. Yeah. But you're saying start this early on. Start early on, especially I think in today's day and age, like millennials and Gen Z, which is our audience, care so much about the brands they support also giving back. Mm -hmm. And I think it creates just a community around your brand of admiration, positivity, support and and so our audience loves it they love seeing who the awardees are they love submitting themselves of course and we love it we feel like we're doing a good thing it matches our intentions of our mission and the company so it's yeah it's something that we would love to continue to keep doing and only grow larger no doubt you've hit bumps along the way Mm -hmm. what has been your biggest failure uh, professionally as you've built Britain Co it's hard to pick just one like I feel like literally every month there's a big failure and a big success and so as an entrepreneur you sort of seek to stay at this medium wavelength and not go too high or too low we um we at the beginning of the company uh had an assumption that the content and media portion of our strategy would be used to deflect people into consumer apps tailored to a certain content vertical. So like a wedding-specific app that women could use as they're planning for the wedding, a cooking app, et cetera. And so we would use our content categories to create those communities and then create. And this is when app downloads were like a really big deal. Um, what we learned over time is people just loved the content and they wanted more content. And, and so, you know, we had to make a decision in the first year to 
pivot, I guess, or actually just to focus on content and becoming really excellent mm. at creating high quality. Re- refocus. Yeah, refocus. And and so there's things like that. There's things like testing into commerce. Mm-hmm. We had a subscription business at one point. We sold direct at one point. We sold other people's stuff and had a drop shipping business. Well, we learned things like in a drop shipping business, it actually worked pretty well in the first year, you know, millions of dollars of revenue, and we were supporting all these artisans and independent designers. What sucked was our margin was pretty small. Tiny. You have to generally, if you want to grow a business quickly, um, hire a lot of people from yeah. like you know acquisition marketers to you know operations staff mm-hmm. who are fulfill- working in fulfillment. It just became a volume game for us, and mm-hmm. we would have to raise more money very quickly. And Which is a dangerous prop. You know, you have to think really deliberately. Do we want to raise right more money? We've tried to stay pretty. Um, competitive in the market compared to our peers mm-hmm. in the digital media spectrum. Mm-hmm. We, we've raised a little over $40 million. Most of our comp- competition has raised well over $100 yeah. million. And that gives us just option value, right? Of course it does. If we want to exit, we can do that. Yeah. If we want to get profitable and just keep growing the business, we yep. can do that. And that might make mean we're growing a little bit slower, but at the okay. same time, I, I think slow brands are the brands that went out. Like, you you don't want to force a brand to grow. Like, a community has to be an organic mm-hmm. and authentic community, and that's how you create those cult brands. What would you tell your, what would you tell the 18-year-old Brit <laughs> today? So you're just graduating high school, entering yeah. University of Austin. What would you look back and say now? Ask questions. I think one of the things that new entrepreneurs, and probably more specifically women, don't consider is how to, is, is that it's okay to ask questions. And actually, you're going to learn a lot more, a lot quicker, yeah. if you start asking more and more questions. Um, make phone calls, send emails, ask for people's time, like learn from them, grow from them. At this point, you know, six years ago, I knew nobody in the media business. I didn't know what the difference between like a managing editor and an editorial director was. I had no idea how to cut and edit a video and what all the different terms meant. Um, I started meeting with people like Jeff Zucker and now our boss, <laughs> and now your boss, but like he was helping me with the Today Show, and and I started meeting people from like the New York Times, and like yeah, I just got introduced to them. I started asking them questions. They were probably very dumb questions, like very okay. Basic. They say you know, no dumb questions. There are <laughs> no dumb questions. Yeah, but as a young you know entrepreneur just yeah. starting out, you feel dumb asking sure. those questions, but that's the only way to learn. Let's talk a little bit of politics because in the last year, Britain Co has offered more, uh, offered more political content. You say it's crucial for women to know what decisions are being made on their behalf, and I, I you know, you've you've only dabbled in it, but I wonder how you came to that decision. If you think it is, I mean, clearly you think the benefits outweigh the risks for mm-hmm. you guys because you have users, I would assume, of all political, yeah sort of totally. stripes yeah we we definitely hit the full country um, right and so how did you make that decision Britt because you know CEOs are grappling with yeah. that of all sorts of fortune 500 companies right now as well mm-hmm. when to speak out our audience asked us why we weren't covering they it they did they were asking us you know Britain Co you guys are all about empowering women and standing up for women why aren't you covering topics like the women's rights with abortion and with, you know, uh, work, you know, wage, wage uh, equality and maternity leave and all these topics that are relevant to young women and that young women might know the full background about. And 
and want to hear it in a younger, accessible way, like uh -huh. almost as if their girlfriend's explaining it to so them. So did you feel like you were taking sides? At first, it felt like, you know, how are we going to do this in a way that's not taking sides? And we started to, we decided internally that we will cover topics that impact women. We aren't going to get into the nitty gritty of like tax reform, um, but we will cover things that have a true impact. Which does on, impact. Which does impact. Yeah, women, yeah. Of course, but I see you but, can't you know, get into everything. Yeah, not yeah. into every topic, you know. So, so where it goes deep into women's rights, we we definitely mm -hmm. covered, and and in fact, we covered the women's march, for instance, and we sent people there, mm -hmm. and we lost a really large advertising deal you after did. that. Um, because the brand was not comfortable was it worth that it? we were playing in that. Of course it was worth it. At the end of the day, all we can do is stay true to who we are as a brand. And if that means that another partner is not going to work with us because they don't agree, we're not going to fold, you know, just for short-term impact. Like, I believe that Britain Co. is a long-term brand. I put my name into this company. I can envision doing this for years and years and years. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bend my ways and bend my it community. It really is. It, it, it's your name. It's your, yeah. <laughs> not only your company. It's very it's, contrarian. It's your name. Yeah. It's your name right there. Um, one of the things I think we're both moms, and I used to be hesitant to ask questions about that, but now I realize that it plays into everything because yeah. it's another part of your job. Mm -hmm. um, and it def helps define who you are and mm -hmm. changes who you are in so many ways. I think there's a, you have two little boys. Two little um, boys. There's a three. really interesting uh, thing that you said that struck me very much, another opinion piece you wrote for Fortune about being a mom. And it, was just, it struck me because it was so honest and raw. Mm. You said, the biggest lesson I've learned is that I will never be able to spend as much time with my children as I want to. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. I've... I've, if I could spend all day with my children, I mean, in the That's good moments. harder than going to work. <laughs> I that. fully respect women that do spend all day. There's just this biological instinct in you that you just want to, like, hold them and cuddle them so much. You know this. And, and so I'm, I've traveled almost every week this year. It's tough. Like, this business has become a business rooted in New York, San Francisco, and L.A., and as much as I have other people in those cities too, like a lot of times I need to be there. And, and so I'm there and, and a day and back, even New York, you know. But at the same time, I'm feeling like, oh, there's all this lost time with my kids. And what I've learned, especially by expressing that sentiment over social media and, and some content we've done at Britain Co., is that even moms that stay home with their kids have told me, I still feel like I don't have enough time with them. Like, there's never enough time with your kids. They keep growing and getting older, and you're going to miss some moments. You're going to be there for others. It's really not about the quantity. It's about the quality. quality. So what do you do? Because I sort of yeah. hit myself when I am on my phone or on my daughter, because sometimes I need to be, but most of the time I don't need to be, Yeah. and it's habit. It's total habit. What do you do to maximize that time? I leave the phone in the other room. As soon as I get home, like the phone stays in the kitchen. I go into the playroom or go outside. I, you know, drop on the floor and just start building Legos. <laughs> and, like, I prep actually a lot of activity projects to do with my mm. kids now that they're getting into toddler years. Yeah. Um, because I don't want to just sit there and 
like watch TV or anything like that. I want to be actively, Active. you know, teaching them something, creating something together with them. And actually, I've learned for me, it's somewhat meditative and relaxing as well. You come home from the craziest day of work and like maybe someone's leaving the company or like you didn't land the deal that you wanted to land and it sucked. And then there are your kids and you're just playing Legos together for an hour. And, and it's actually taught me a great lesson about what really matters in life at the end of the day. And as much as I want to build, you know, the biggest brand in the world, I want to be the best mom in the world. And I think that matters more. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do that. Totally. Uh, So finally, finish the sentence for me. I will be successful when? I believe I'm successful. I don't think there's a benchmark. I think life is the bucket, you know, like you can... You can have a bucket list or you can live it out every day. And and it's all about what you believe is success. And I think there's more and more to come. But I feel successful that I've had a business that's been in, in business for six years now. And less, most companies don't last that long. And This is true. Even if it all ended tomorrow, I still feel like it would have been a success. It is. Great. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.